Welcome to Advent here at Union Chapel. We're in week number two of a series that we've been talking about regarding fear. Fear not. The angel came to Mary, said, don't be afraid. And we learned that Mary overcame this fear of what God was asking her to do. Sometimes we get afraid of that. We withhold from God our very best because we suspect he may ask us to do something that we're not comfortable with or might make us unhappy. And so we, we are we are fearful, and that keeps us from God's best. And today we want to look at Joseph's life, and an angel appears to him in a dream, which we'll see in Matthew's gospel in just a moment, and says to him, don't be afraid. The fear that we want to overcome today is the fear of what people think about us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here today think uh, or believe too much uh, that the opinion of others matter in your life? You're concerned about, raise your hand, just hold it up for a little bit. Concerned about the opinion of others. Now look at the people next to you who do not have their hands up. These are the people afraid of what people will think about them if they raise their hand. <laughs> Isn't it true that all of us suffer from this? This is the opinion of others. And so Joseph has to overcome that, and we can overcome it too. I hope you'll have something to learn from it. Matthew chapter 1, then, is our text. Matthew, the first chapter, I'm going to read for us verses 18 to 24. As you're able now, would you please stand to hear these important words. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, she, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Do you like the car I drive? What about my clothes? Do you like my clothes? How about my hair? you like my hairstyle? Do you think I'm funny? Do you think I fit in? What about my Instagram selfie? Did you like that? My Instagram selfie, did you see it? I learned that if I take the selfie from up here, I only have two chins, but if I bring it down here, I have four chins. Just, how about the, the filter that I use to make the, the, the selfie? Wasn't that a cool, cool? Sh how about the duck lips that I edited in? You like my duck lips on my selfie? Yeah. We're all concerned about these things, aren't we? We really are. And this week's story, we're going to watch Joseph battle with the opinions of people. He has to decide, watch it now, he has to decide between doing what is easy and doing what is right. Ever been at that crossroads before? Deciding between what people want you to do and what God wants you to do. We all face these decisions all the time, don't we? It's part of life. Now, Joseph is engaged. We know that engagement in first century Palestine is a very serious thing. It's a legally binding arrangement. It lasts for about a year. Uh, in the United States now, if you're engaged and it kind of falls apart, you can just break it off. But in this case, he's got to go through a legal process of divorce 
And he's wrestling with this issue because, you know, he's gotten this phone call from Mary. Mary says to him, Joseph, I got good news. I'm pregnant, but don't worry. It's by the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's faced with this question of whether or not he should marry this girl. And he's wrestling with it. And he doesn't know for sure what to do. And so you have to admit from the human perspective, this is a hard pill to swallow. He is asked to believe that this is a God thing. But if he sets that aside and, and, he, and he goes, wait, if this isn't God, what is it about this girl? Well, there's only two options left, really. She's either crazy or she's a liar. And either way, it's not good to marry that girl. So he said, look, I don't want to marry a crazy girl and I don't want to marry a liar. And so he has it in his heart to put her away quietly, to divorce her and to get on with his life. He, he reasons maybe she can go off somewhere else and have this baby and find a life for herself. I will stay here. But his situation is still complex because he knows that if he, he puts her away, that people will say, well, he did that because he got her pregnant and now he's just trying to cover his tracks. Or if he divorces her, people will say, well, you know, he's not trustworthy. I'm never going to bless my daughter to marry that guy because he can't make up his mind. All these things are pressing into him, and he's forced then to choose whether or not he's going to do what God asks him to do or something else. And so this is how we find Joseph. And we find ourselves in the same situation from time to time. Now, if you have your, have your outlines handy, I want you to, to get ready for this first point. He's about to learn one of the most important lessons of life. If you want to live in a way that honors God, you have to learn this lesson. Now, if you're taking notes, this is a big deal. This is big. So on point number one, write this down. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Verse 20 of our text, after he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 uh, she will give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he will, he will save his people from all of their sins. So this is all the message that he gets, and he has to come to terms with this. And at this moment, he has this pendulum swing of emotions. Imagine this. He wakes up, and he goes, wow, I've been told for my whole life that God was going to send Messiah into the world, and this is a world-changing event and it seems like God's asking me to be part of something really big. And then his emotions swing the other way and he goes, but oh my gosh, I'm, I'm being asked to do something that people just aren't going to believe. I mean, what, what are people going to say? What are they going to think when we try to tell them that this is of the Holy Spirit? What is this going to cost me? And so he has this, this tension that is growing in his life. Should I do what people want or should I do what God wants? Have you ever been there? Of course, all of us have. That leads us to the second thing, and this is something that is very important for us to know. On your outline, it's this. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Becoming obsessed with what people think is the quickest way to forget what God thinks. What do you think of me? Do you like me? Do I fit in? Do I measure up? Am I cool enough? Can I join your club? Can I be your friend? Do you think I'm doing the right thing? 
And the more and more we allow this kind of questioning and this attitude to grow in our lives, we can realize without even meaning to that we've surrendered our lives to the opinions of people at the expense of actually living to please God. So how do you overcome that? How do you get over that, get past that? Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. But here's the good news, and this is so powerful. The flip side of that statement is also true. It's the next point in your outline, number three. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks. Playing to an audience of one. Living your life for the primary purpose of honoring God and bringing glory to His name. Now listen to me carefully. To say, God, I want to please you with all I do. To come to that place in your life and to believe that sincerely is the quickest and the best and perhaps the only way to grow past living for the approval of others. You've got to put Jesus first. Now, here's the bottom line. Let me give you a perspective on this, especially of those, those of you who tend to be people pleasers. This is your personality. This is your, this is your MO. This is a, a special challenge to you. that You live your life just trying to make everybody happy. Here's the, here's the truth, and let me just say it out loud. You know it to be true, but let me say it. You can't please everybody. You can't please everybody, no matter how hard you try. I mean, you wear your hair one way, and you say, what do you think of my hair? And people say, oh, I like that. And the next person, you say, you like my new hairdo? And they said, no, that makes you look fat. And so you, you know, people start moving their hair around, trying to make it better. Do you like the music I'm listening to? Well, yes, I love that music. You ask the next person, they say, no, I can barely stand to listen to that at all. It's just horrible. And you, you feel that because you want to please these people. It's a political season in America right now, and you take a political position. You ask one person, do you like where I'm standing politically? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. You ask the next person, they go, oh, I disagree with that completely. And so you just feel pressure, and you go, I know, I'll go stand in the middle. What happens to you if you stand in the middle politically? Everybody hates you, so you can't win. There's no way you can please everybody. But the good news is this. While you can't please everybody in the world, listen to me now. This is really important. You can please God. Now, that's where an amen should go in this sermon. You can please God. Yeah, you can. You can live your life in such a way that at the end of it, God can look at you and say, you know, good job. Well done. Uh, you, you lived honorably. You lived to glorify me. Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that is how we can live our lives. You can please God. And Joseph is going to have to get to that place in his own life where he says, you know what? I value the opinion of God more than I value the opinion of people. Now, how does that play out? How does that play out in our lives? I want to give you two big thoughts to take with you. It's the next statement's on the outline. How do we live for God instead of for people? Here's the first thing you should know. It's the number fourth point on your, on your outline. Write this down. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Now think about this for a moment. Joseph and Mary are going to be publicly disgraced. They're going to be scrutinized. They're going to be criticized. You know people are going to talk. You can hear the ladies down in the corner. You know, I saw his donkey parked outside 
next to her apartment about 2 a.m. Now, you know they're not doing Bible study up there. You know people are going to talk. And, and you know it's true in your own life. There's going to be a time, and there have been times like this already. You know this is true. When God speaks to you about a thing, you're reading the Bible one day, and God applies His truth to your heart, and you realize that you're going to have to make some choices, either to please people or to, or to honor God and obey Him and follow Him. You may hear a voice of God leading you to do something. You may be a high schooler or a college student in church today, and you've been a party person. But God's been speaking to you, and he says, look, I don't want you to party anymore. I don't, no more partying for you, no more drinking, no more drugs. That's out. I want you to live differently. Now, you know full well, listen to me, if you're going to honor God and obey God, that may not fit your culture, that may not set, set right with your, with your group of friends, and you know that you're going to be criticized. People are going to say, what? What are you talking about? What do you mean you're not going to party? Nope, I'm not partying anymore. I, I just don't think God wants... Oh, it's God. Oh, so now you're all religious. Now you're, now you're spiritually you know, freakish and there's something wrong with you. And so people will criticize you for honoring God. You might say, you know what? No matter what I've done in the past, no matter what I've done in the past, beginning right now, I'm going to live my life with sexual purity. That's what I'm going to do. I've heard God about this and this is how I'm going to live my life. I believe God will forgive me for, for what I've done. But beginning today, I'm going to live honorably with my sexual life, my sexual energy. I'm going to direct that in ways that are pleasing to Him. Now you start bantering that about, and you better be ready to be criticized. Some of you know the name Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the NFL quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And Russell Wilson is an outspoken Christian. And by all accounts, he is a very devout person and admirable that way. He's a good guy. I don't know him personally, but he seems that way. And some months ago, Russell Wilson made an announcement so the whole country could hear it. And he said, I'm engaged to be married, introduced his fiance, and he said, we are going to wait until we are married before we have sex. Did you... You may have felt that day from Washington State, there was this rumble that came across America and it hit Muncie and just kind of, kind of went like this. And people said, what was that? It was, a, it was a huge rumble that went through the whole culture because here was a guy, a notable guy, who actually said he was going to wait to have sex until after he was married. People just went... And people were... I mean, on TV, their faces were, were contorting. It was really interesting to watch it. I mean, people saying to him, Russell, don't, don't you know what year it is? Don't you know what the new standard is? Don't you know what the new values are? Don't, don't you get it? Why would you assume a position like that? And Russell said, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian person. I follow the Bible. I've established these values in my life. And I pray that God will give me the grace to live up to these values that I've embraced. And, he, you know, at one point he introduces his fiancée. Have you seen his fiancée? You need to pray for Russell Wilson. <laughs> pray that he gets to the church on time. So it'll be a challenge. But how great is that? But listen, can you hear the point again? If you're not ready to be criticized for obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Boy, you've got to let that soak in. 
You may say, you know what? All my friends are going to the beach for spring break next year. But, you know, I've had it in my heart. All this money I've been saving to go to the beach with my friends, I have it in my heart to maybe do a mission trip so I can go somewhere and maybe help some people in need. And I think that's what I'm going to do instead of hanging out with my friends on the beach. Now, listen, when you tell your friends that, folks aren't going to get it. They're not going to understand it. They're not going to agree with you. They're going to wonder about you. They're going to criticize you. They're, they're, they're going to ostracize you. There's going to be a consequence to that. But I want to say to you again, if you're not willing to be criticized for obeying God, you are not ready to be used by God. It's just one of those deals. You may be a person in one of those high-paying jobs, and you take a lower-paying job, maybe a substantially lower-paying job, so that you can be in more direct contact with people in need. You know that in your real high-paying job, you couldn't touch people as directly as you can if you have a lower-paying job. And so you take a big pay cut so that you can do what you believe God's calling you to do to help others. And maybe it's a big pay cut, like half, 50% pay cut. And your friends look at you and say, have you lost your mind? Don't you realize that life is about making money? That's what life is about. And if you're not making as much money as you possibly can, there's something wrong with you. But I just want to remind you, if you're not willing to be criticized, you're not willing to be used. There are people in the life of our church. Maybe you're a person who lives beneath your means. You still have a nice income. You have, have substantial assets relatively. But you still live below your means. And people say, why does that person live in that kind of house? They could have a much nicer house. Why do they drive that car? They could have a nicer car. But these are people who live below their means so that they can give sacrificially and generously and radically to make a difference in the world. And there are going to be people who push back on that and say, why, why are you behaving that way? If you're not willing to be criticized, you're not willing to be used. I have an opportunity to talk to leaders from time to time, Christian leaders. When I'm in front of a group of United Methodist pastors, for example, I almost always bring this point up because I just like to challenge and push people a little bit about this. But this is what I like to teach leaders, and it's this. The more you do, the more pain you will experience. The more you do, the more pain you will experience. Let me say it a different way. If you want to make a difference in this world, you will endure more pain than those who don't want to make a difference in this world. Because it puts you out of step, puts you out of whack, out of sorts with the, with the people around you. And so if you want to live a life where nobody criticizes you, you don't have any hassles, everybody likes you, you just blend in, you go along to get along, if that's the life you want, I can tell you exactly how to do it. Do nothing, stand for nothing, and have nothing. If you don't want to make waves, you don't want to make a difference, you don't want to help people around you, then do nothing, stand for nothing, and have nothing. I don't know about you, but I choose, I choose the criticism. I, I, cho I choose the pain. That's my preference. I'd rather do something significant and have people shoot at me than to do nothing at all. This happens in Christian circles. For example, there are, there are Christian families who like to have a lot of children. And our culture doesn't support that whole notion. Even the Christian culture doesn't do it much anymore. And so a family, here's a family got four, five, six, maybe seven kids. And they come trailing in. And they're constantly taking little snipes from people. You know what's causing you to get pregnant, don't you? Yes, we know what causes it. 
and these other little comments. Do you know how much it costs to raise those kids? And they just keep coming. Listen to me. You know, the Bible actually teaches that a person who has a quiver full of children is a person who is greatly blessed. That the blessing of God actually comes when you have many children. It's none of your business how many children a family will have. And we should be supportive of it. Homeschoolers are the same category. We have a lot of bias against homeschoolers in our culture. We have a lot of homeschoolers in our church. Homeschooling just seems like an, an incredible investment in your children. Just, that's more than second mile giving. That's like third and fifth and tenth mile giving to your kids. When we were raising our boys, I can tell you, it never crossed my mind to homeschool those kids. When they were old enough, we said, get on that bus, go on to school, let somebody look after you for a while. It worked out perfectly. But homeschoolers, I mean, what a great commitment, but they take a lot of flack in our culture. You know, you better get your kids, you know, mainstream. You, they won't be socialized. They won't fit in. They'll be odd. They'll be different. They won't, they, won't, they won't get it. And you hear all kinds of comments like that. You know, they'll grow up. They'll wear denim skirts, make their own butter. It'll be, they'll be weird. <laughs> I can tell you my observation is I, I run around, I'm around homeschooled kids all the time. They're all through the church. Let me just tell you, just in general, I'm impressed with homeschooled kids. So leave them alone. Yeah. This happens to us professionally. This has happened to me. You know, years ago I said, hey, church, let's move from this little cornfield church. So let's go to the local high school. We'll have a little more room there. And we can reach more people. Oh, man criticism. I got a call one afternoon. It was from my bishop, the, the guy who's, you know, over me, my ultimate authority. He calls me up, and I'm 28 years old, and the bishop says, now, now, Greg, I've heard that you're leaving a perfectly good building, church building, to go to a high school. I said, yes, sir, we're, we're trying to create a little elbow room so we can reach some more people. He said, that's a terrible idea. You should never do that. That's not going to work. He said, the only, the only church that I've heard who've done something like that, you know, it, it closed down. You're probably going to ruin the church. I said, well, thank you, Bishop, for that encouragement and for your support. And, you know, I sure give that con consideration in prayer. You know, goodbye. I thought, what an odd fellow that is. Yeah, and then, and then, and then it was, let's buy that car lot. Many of you, some of you may not know that, that our ministry campus here used to be a car dealership. It used to be a Ford lot. And, and so we've converted. Our sanctuary was an original showroom of the car lot. Our, our main hallway was big service bays and oil pits and hydraulic lifts and all that. We were going to leave one of the hydraulic lifts under the pulpit. <laughs> pretty, pretty dramatic, right? We thought it would be tacky, so we just didn't do it. But, but this was the lead. So this is what we led. I, I said, let's go buy that car dealership. And people looked at me, are you crazy? Have you been to that, that dealership? It was a mess. It had been vacated for months and months and months. The roofs were caving in. The windows were busted out. There was water dripping on the floors everywhere. There were big tree, volunteer trees growing up in the middle of the parking lot. It was a disaster. It was a mess. People said, we shouldn't do that. But listen, if you're not willing to be criticized... You're not willing to be used. 
Here, I mean, it's actually true. It's the, it's the point. And then when we wanted to add a children's wing, we, why do we need a children's wing? We've got all these classrooms down here. We don't need room for more children. And then when we wanted to build this building, man, it was a big fuss. Why are we building this big building? For our kids, for our youth. We want to reach some kids. We want to reach youth. Well, how much are we spending on that? I said, a lot. Well, do we need that much? I said, not yet, but we will. How much did you say that was again? I said, More, a lot. <laughs> and it costs a lot. People, people just push at that. I, we would get calls. My wife, Beth, can vouch for this. Calls from other pastors in the community calling up and say, what is going on with your youth program, 180? I said, well, we're just reaching a bunch of kids for Jesus. Well, I don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? Well, it's too worldly. Really? Yeah, I said, you can't outworld the world. That's just wrong. I said, well, how many kids do you have in your youth group? He said, well, we don't have any kids in our youth group. Our church is old, so we don't have any kids. I said, well, I like the way we're reaching kids better than the way you're not reaching kids. You know, get a life. <laughs> if you're not willing to be criticized, you're not willing to be used of God. Did you know in the last 15 years, we have baptized 1,300 high school students? 1,300. Now, when we said, now this is going to cost $2.5 million to get ready for this, people went, woo. Now we say 1,300 people have been baptized, and we go, everything's beautiful. Everything's great. <laughs> Where were you back when I needed support for this? <laughs> But you're not willing to be criticized. You're not willing to be used. That's the way it works. That's the way it goes. And then we said, we're going to go to Kazakhstan, Central Asia. We're going to reach the people there. They're, they're Muslims. They haven't heard the gospel since the 4th century. We, got, we need to go where no man's gone before. We're going to go to Kazakhstan and preach the gospel there. We might as well have said, we're going to Mars and reach people for Jesus. People just went, we're going Where? But 20 years later, we've seen countless people come to faith in Jesus in Kazakhstan. God alone knows the influence we've had there. And, and over 400 of us from Union Chapel have traveled to Kazakhstan over the years. Amazing. Amazing. There's a girl right here. She grew up in Kazakhstan. There she she came, Right here, she came to Jesus because we went to Kazakhstan. Right there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you love it now. You love it now. You should have been in my, in my shorts back in the day when I said, let's go to Kazakhstan. <laughs> what? And now we're starting this REACH campaign, this capital campaign, and already folks are going, no, I'm not sure we need to do But listen to me. We've got to eliminate our, our mortgage. We've got a $2.1, $2.2 million mortgage. We have to get that thing out of the way. We have to eliminate the mortgage so that it frees up money to reach children, you've heard me talk about this. We need to reach kids. We need to get younger and younger into their, into their lives because they're the, it's, it's their age when they're tender towards Jesus. And so we've got to make it attractional for them and, and, and winsome for them and their families. That's what, that's what we've got to do. And we also learned that a third of all the Protestant churches in America are dead or dying. 
We, and there are population centers where there aren't enough churches, so we have to plant churches. The most strategic thing that Christians can do in our culture is to plant churches. You say, well, this isn't a time to go out there like that. This is a time the, the culture's going to hell. Everything's getting darker and darker. We better just wall ourselves up and hunker down and hope we can survive. No. Listen, the light shines brightest in the dark. That's what we are. We have opportunity. We're a, a city set on a hill. We're going to go plant some churches in places where people need to hear the gospel. We prop up Paul and Tia Erminger and Emily Norville last week. We said, look, we're sending the best and brightest we have, and we're going to team them up. We're going to send them to Florida, Cape Coral. And listen, I just had a meeting with Paul this past week with our oversight team. The church has already been named, Gulfside Church, Cape Coral, Florida. The mission statement is being written. The bylaws are being constructed. Paul shows me pictures of a high school auditorium where a, where a church could meet and negotiating to, to secure and rent that. <laughs> there's no church there. There's no church there, but there's going to be. There's going to be. Yeah, because a bunch of, bunch of folks who are willing to absorb whatever criticism comes because we're doing something significant for Jesus so that God can be released in power amongst people who need to hear good news. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. And I, and I want you to believe me when I say we're going to do it. Because we're going to do it. We've done crazy things before, and we're going to do crazy things again. Because that's, that's, that's what we do. That's who we are. We're the people of God. We're willing to absorb. You know, pastors would call me over the years and say, you know, what are you doing over there at Union Chapel? These are mostly other Methodists. And, they say, and here was, this is not the words they said, but this is what the inference. The inference was, look, Methodist churches don't grow. Methodist churches don't reach people for Jesus. Methodist churches don't do wild and crazy things. And so you're not like the rest of us. You're actually preaching the gospel, and people are coming to a meaningful faith in Jesus. Lives are being changed. That's different. And because you're different, there must be something wrong with you. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You don't look like the rest of us. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. Maybe something wrong. But I know this. If you're not willing to be criticized, you're not willing to be used by God. And you're going to have to come to terms with that, especially you people pleasers. You're going to have to get a hold of this and pray that God will give you courage. Because it's not easy. I, I'm wired not to care much what people think. But you may be wired to care a lot. And so you'll have, to, you'll have to fight this. You have to resist this if you want to be used of God. And I know you do. Now, here's the last point. You want to write this down. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God often begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Think about, I want you to think about something you've never thought about before. Think about Joseph and Mary. These kids are teenagers. They're teenagers. And Almighty God says to two teenagers, would you be willing to birth, to raise, and to give to the world its Savior? Two teenage kids. And what did they say? They said, yes, we'll do it. Yes. A simple 
Yes, of obedience. Let me say it again. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. You never know what your simple yes in obedience to God's call in your life is going to do. You never know the influence that God has for you. The kind of, the kind of impact that your life can have with a simple yes of obedience. Because God can do extraordinary things with ordinary acts of obedience. I mean, they didn't have any... The archangels come to these two kids. This is the, what the archangel said to both of them. Watch. This is what they said. All right, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Good luck with that. Then, second of all, you're going to have a boy. Thirdly, name him Jesus. Fourthly, he will save his people from their sins. And then the archangel goes, that's it. See ya. That's all the information they got. We oftentimes want to say, okay, God, I'll, I'll obey you here. If you'll just give, me, just give me the outline. Just show me w- what this means. Tell me what that'll, that's going to cost. But God says, look, if I showed you the whole plan, you wouldn't do it. Too much information. <laughs> It'll throw you off. Most of the time, God just gives us enough light for the next step. Listen, listen this is how it goes. A complete understanding isn't necessary for immediate obedience. Just enough for the next step. I mean, if you're, if you're one of these kids, you know, you think, where'd the angel go? You're standing there with Joseph, the two of you are just going, and, you're, and now you're pregnant. Let me ask you this. This is what you've never thought of. How do you raise this kid? It didn't come with an instruction manual. You know, special considerations when raising the Son of God. What do you do with the terrible twos? And is he terrible? He's the son of God. He's perfect. Does he get in trouble? How do you discipline Jesus? Jesus goes stand in the corner. Do you spank him? Or do you just go, I'm sorry, come over and give me a whack. You spank me. I don't know. How do you raise the son of God? Who knows what they're doing? But they said yes. They said yes. Simple act of obedience. Listen, you never know. You never know. Pastor Jeff stood up a little while ago and he raised, lifted up that little circular invitation card that we made for you. Next week, we're going to talk about overcoming the fear of where we stand with God. The, the angelic visitation to the shepherds in the Christmas story. You know the story. But listen to me. Every person you know, every person you know, in a private, quiet, honest moment, have asked themselves this question. Everyone, I wonder what will happen to me when I die. Everyone wonders about that. Everyone you know wonders about that. And listen to me, there's good news. There's good news. You can know where you stand with God. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of where you stand with God. Fear not. God has made a way for you to have relationship with Him. And we're going to talk about that next week. What a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, your family, your associations to come to church and hear about a fear that every human being experiences. 
I wonder where I stand with God. Some of you may be called to serve. Maybe it's to wrap at the mall or maybe a gift at the mall or maybe it's to sign up for the blood and fire thing or to serve in some other way, but you have no idea what you set into motion when you engage in a simple act of obedience. It matters. This stuff really matters. You just never know. Well, you may be a single guy in the room today. Single guy. You see a single girl today. God's going to prompt you as a single guy to get off your single butt, sell your Xbox, get out of your mom's basement, iron your shirt, brush your teeth, ask her out. One day you're going to get married, then you're going to have a son, and when he's born, you're going to name him Greg. (laughs) And the reason you're going to name him Greg is because you heard a sermon today. God used me to help you get some action into your single life, and that's going to help you. Feels so good to get that off my chest. There it is. So what about Joseph? Does he, does he do what's easy or does he do what's right? Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. How many of you are glad he got it right and with Mary? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for him? Thank you. And so this is the application to this message today. Overcome your fear. Obey God. Because God can do extraordinary things through your life when you're willing to obey Him in simple ways. And I hope you'll hear it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You today for the power of Your Holy Spirit, the witness of Your Word, the model and example that comes through the life of Joseph. I pray that you would make us more and more sensitive to your voice, that we would incline ourselves to your word and say yes to what you call us to. Now let me just give words to what some of you may think or feel in your life, especially those of you who are especially sensitive to the opinion of others. And let me just say the words, and if you agree with them, you just say, yeah, that's me. Maybe you'd pray, I'm often more concerned with what people think than I am with what God thinks. But today, I want to be totally and completely transformed. I want to be different. I want to align myself with the heart of God. I want to be obsessed with His will, His purpose, His kingdom, His plan, His direction. I want to live for Him and honor Him and bring glory to His name, even among above the opinions of others. Now, if that's you in the room today and you say, you know, I really need God's strength for this, would you just raise your hand and you say, I want to live my life to honor God no matter what anyone else thinks. That's so many, so many. I'm so glad, so proud of you. Thank you. So, God, we want to have courage to obey you no matter what. So, Lord, I pray that as we hear your voice and you lead us to an act of obedience, that you would build our faith and build our passion to obey you. And understand we don't have to get it all, the whole story, understand it completely to obey you immediately. So God, make us obsessed with you, that your kingdom would be first in our hearts, that we would do what you call us to do, and that we could look back in a moment like this and say, God, we thank you and worship you, knowing that we had no idea what we would set into motion when we took a simple moment to obey you. So give us courage, Lord. 
to live above the opinions of people, and God, only to live for your approval. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said...